LanternCast family, I'm Chad Bokelman, and welcome back to the LanternCast Presents Green Lantern, Green Arrow, episode number four. That's right, I'm back. I told you, and I promised you earlier in this month, or a month ago, or something like that, that I'd be back. And this time, I'm not messing around. We are, in fact, covering the very first issue of the Green Lantern and Green Arrow series from the 1970s. That it would be Green Lantern number 76. Now, a lot of people call it Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 76. That's because that's what the title of the actual book is on the cover. Green Lantern, Green Arrow. But it's actually still, it's still known because it's keeping the numbering from the original series as just Green Lantern number 76. So if you're a little confused, that's why. Now, Green Lantern, Green Arrow uh, number 76, or Green Lantern number 76, however you want to uh, talk about it, uh, has a cover date of April of 1970, but thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for this information, by the way, it actually went on sale and hit the stands on February 24th of 1970 with, get this, a cover price of 15 cents. That's right, a dime and a nickel got you this first issue of this historic run from DC Comics in the 1970s. That's just trippy. Um, but nobody knew it was going to hit them. Because, and I, and I and there's a, there's a very you know, big reason I, I say this, and I'll kind of incorporate this too. Green Lantern number 75, the issue just before this, uh, written by John Broom and penciled by Gil Kane, is actually called The Golden Obelisk of Quard. You know, the cover, it says, it's got Hal, it says, I can't, st- I can't stop the collision. Earth will die. <laughs> so this is, nobody knew it was about to hit them. Um, now, the reason I say that before we get into this, there have been three, the first three episodes of this series have been about the history of the comic book industry, more specifically the comics book, uh, code, the comics code of authority, Frederick Wortham, the seduction of the innocent, and the Senate subcommittee trials on juvenile delinquency. The reason that, and I've said it before, but the reason I've covered that so extensively and tried to do my best uh, without being an expert by the way mind you um is because there's a reason that that history plays into why this series is so important coupled that with the fact that at this point remember what i just said green lantern number 75 was some quarred storyline with hal doing kooky space stuff and nobody cared Nobody cared about any of it. Green Lantern sales were floundering. Julie Schwartz called Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams up and told him, Hey, save this title for me. And that's just what they did. Now, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 76, which I'm going to go with calling these Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Um, but, you know, just know and be aware you can just call it uh, 70, Green Lantern 76. Uh, a lot of this I'm going to read verbatim. Uh, and some of it I'm just going to recap. Now, before we get officially into it, this is my first Green Lantern, Green Arrow episode going 100% solo. 
with the the second episode, all I had to do was kind of provide some background information for interviews, but it wasn't just my voice. The first one we had Mike Gallagher on, and the second one or the third one we had Carol Tilly on. I'm not a big fan of just hearing myself talk, <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure we got this episode out there, and there will be several episodes uh, of this uh, iteration of the podcast in which I talk by myself. When I'm by myself, I feel very awkward. I'm feeling very awkward right now. And uh, I have a tendency to ramble and speak as if I'm trying to figure something out and that something is what I'm going to say next. Um, because uh, so I know somebody out there is listening. I just can't see you guys. So I might be rambling like I am now. Uh, so just know that there is that tendency. I'm going to go ahead and cut myself off and we are going to start talking about the uh, first issue of the Green Lantern Green Arrow, Arrow series. <clears throat> For years he has been a proud man. He has worn the power ring of the Guardians and used it well and never doubted the righteousness of his cause. In the next dozen seconds, an event will occur which will signal the end of his grandeur and the beginning of a long torment. There will be no happy ending, for this is not a happy tale, nor a simple one. But what you are about to witness is, perhaps, inevitable. His name, of course, is Green Lantern, and often he has vowed that no evil shall escape my sight. He has been fooling himself. It begins with a mission of charity in the sky above Star City. And we see Green Lantern flying up on a uh, into Star City to check up on Green Arrow. He says, I haven't heard from Green Arrow lately. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop in and check on him. Well, as he flies to check up on Green Arrow, he sees this young man pushing this older, balding, kind of gray-haired man and a, a fat guy in a suit and, you know, throwing him on the ground. Hal sees this, picks up this young man, and, uh, you know, kind of puts a little construct of a fan underneath him, pushes him back in the air, uh, puts him inside of a construct top, spins him around, puts him in a construct cage and sends him to jail. And then he, he picks up the, the old man, the, the, the older man, the old fat man in the street and says, you know, you know, he thanks Hal and then someone says, Hey, superhero. And Hal turns and says, there's no need to thank me people. I was just doing my duty. And then a can smacks him in the forehead. He creates this construct umbrella and as a whole bunch of garbage, cans, bags, so on and so forth, start bottles, start raining down on him and the uh, the older fat guy that he just picked up. And he says, all right, you know, if you guys want to riot, that's what I'll give you. And uh, right, right as he grabs someone, there's a bubble that says, touch him first, Green Lantern, and you'll have to touch me second. And I'll touch back. Believe it, chum. And there's Green Arrow standing up on the ledge above the doorway, watching the, all of this unfold. And, Gr and Green Lantern asks, how, how can you protect these anarchists? How can you defend them? He says, you know, can't you see they're breaking the law? And Ollie says, and this is Green Arrow, Ollie says, now I can see lots of things, like that you've got no business here. I was tempted to throw a can at you yourself, myself. And Hal's confused. You're not making sense. He's like, you know what? Come on. Come with me. I'm going to bring you on a little guided tour of what's been going on in here. And this is another part I'm going to read verbatim because it's very important. Ollie says, this lady here is the grandmother of the kid you sent to headquarters. She's 80, and he's her only means of support. Mike had to drop out of school and get a crummy job because she has no one else. Hal says, that's tough, but blast it, he was breaking the law. 
Ollie says, technically he was, sure. He lost his temper and roughed up the fat cat landlord who owns this dump. The creep who hasn't spent a cent for repairs in years. Now he figures he can make more money using the property for a parking lot. So he's going to evict the tenants, kick a lot of old folks out on the street. Lord knows this building is bad, but they don't have anything else. You like what you've seen? Listen, I hope you enjoyed playing superhero out there. I hope it did a lot of good for your ego. And Hal says, easy. You've no cause to yell at me. I have a job. I do it. Ollie says, seems I've heard that line before at the Nazi war trials. And then a voice from off panel says, I want to ask the ring slinger a question, Mr. Green Arrow. And an old black man approaches Hal and Ollie on this roof. And he speaks speaks to Hal and he says, I've been reading about you. How you work for the blue skins and how on a planet someplace you helped out the orange skins and how you done considerable for the purple skins. Only their skins you never bothered with. The black skins. I want to know, how come? Answer me that, Mr. Green Lantern. And Hal hangs his head and says, I can't. Now, those three panels of what... Actually, those... Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. These nine panels, when Ollie first takes Hal inside the tenant building, all the way up to Hal hanging his head and saying, I can't, are some of the most widely known pages of the Green Lantern Green Arrow series. Um, and without a doubt, you are reading this and go, holy crap, <laughs> this book just got serious real quick. Um, and especially considering what you had just read in, in number 75 with how going to Quard and doing a bunch of crazy space stuff like he always does. Things got real, <laughs> real quick in this book. Now, the reason I mentioned these, you know, kind of stop there is because the next panel on the next page is, I think, has a, uh, not the whole thing, but um, has a, a second a bit of dialogue that often gets missed uh, when people are talking about these these uh, these panels that I just mentioned. In the time it takes to draw a single breath, the span of a heartbeat, a man looks into his own soul and his life changes. That's the bit I'm talking about. Hal admits that he's, you know, been an idiot. Well, how can I help? And the guy... Uh, the old black man says, you know, if you want to bad enough, you'll figure it out. I believe in you. And I think you do want to help. You know, uh, he, he had all these suggestions that maybe you should talk to, you know, maybe you should try and keep these folks from getting kicked out into the street. And House says, I'll try and talk to the landlord. So he goes back to his hotel, recharges his ring and says his oath. But in the middle of saying his oath, he thinks to himself, how often have I made that vow? And until today... I believed what I was saying, but evil was all around me, disguised as familiar everyday persons and places. I've lived this long without learning that bad doesn't have to be a bug-eyed monster or a mad scientist, nor is it always hidden. So that's pretty, uh, some more some more deep thoughts from, uh, from Hal that we hadn't seen before. Um, Hal shows up to the penthouse of the landlord, comes in, tries to make his case. Well, as he's making his case, the for the better part of an hour, um, the landlord just says, you've gotten soft, you're bleeding hard, blah, blah, blah. He has some of his goons send Hal out. 
Hal starts knocking out the guy's goons and then picks up the landlord and is about to belt him in the face when suddenly a uh, telepathic image, as they call it, because I don't think the landlord can see it. That's why they call it a telepathic image. Of the Guardian, of a Guardian, shows up and says, Green Lantern of Earth, desist. This man has committed no crime. Report to Oa immediately. So Hal storms off, heads over to Oa, and the Guardians summon him and say, you know, you've behaved inexcusably. We have monitored your activities. We have observed your emotional attack on your brother Earthling. And he says, that filth is no brother of mine. The Guardians say, silence. We are prepared to overlook your insubordination once. We shall say no more. You are warned. Okay, so then they say, by the way, we got something for you, need, you that, that you need to do. Titan, one of Saturn's moons, is about to be hit with a whole bunch of uh, stray meteors. Go take care of that, and then after you're done, uh, wait for further instructions. So Hal goes out there and takes care of these meteors and directs them into the uh, abyss of space. And it's just like, what am I even doing out here? You know, the Guardian sent me on a useless mission. Why? Now I've got to stay here, floating in space like a hunk of jetsam. It doesn't make any sense. Or does it? Sure, they sent me here to cool off. He says, I've had it, and heads back to Earth. Well, while he's out in space doing all of this, Ollie is confronting the landlord. He says, I want some money, you know, stuff like that. How much you want? You know, well, I'll, you know, I, you know, meet me at this, uh, this uh, abandoned store. So later that night, some goons are going after. They think they see, they think they see Green Arrow. They put some bullets into him. Turns out it's a dummy. Green Arrow goes up against them and you know, puts a arrow in their pistol uh, barrel and so on and so forth. Well, turns out Green Arrow set this whole thing up so that he could record all the all the stuff to get some incriminating evidence on the landlord. Well, while all the firing was going on, one of the bullets hit the tape recorder, and Ollie's work is for naught. So, back on Earth, Hal and Ollie now commiserate and try and figure out what they can do. So, they figure we both failed in our own way, so now we need to, now we need to, uh, team up, see what happens. And a little bit of dialogue here. Citizens of Star City, raise your eyes. Look up from the pavement into the blue of a noon sky. Observe two gentlemen on their way to work. This will be a sight to tell your grandchildren about. Citizens of Star City, won't it? So then over in the landlord's apartment, and his name is Jubal Slade, by the way. He's all angry because one of the guys he hired, one of his goons, says, you know, I told you not to come here. And, it's, you know, we got hassled by the fuzz, boss. We had to stay out of sight. I mean, you mean, did you hit him? Who, boss? Green Arrow, did you finish him? I don't understand. Finish? I paid you to kill him, remember? Oh, did you? How interesting. And Hal points his ring at himself and gets his uh, his costume, his uh, disguise, off of himself. Well, they don't need a tape recorder because they brought the district attorney, Jeremy Tyne, with him who overheard everything. Well, in his... Uh, severe upset Jubal Slade snags a hand grenade that looks like a paperweight but actually is a live grenade off of his desk pulls the pin and says I'm not going anywhere and uh, how while sitting on a desk mind you (laughs) is like I got this and puts out a green construct hand flicks it out the window 
and it explodes. They trap Jubal Slade in a large, uh, a large, uh, mousetrap and hand him off to the proper authorities. And so, so that is that. Well, one of the guardians shows up again in a semi-telepathic message because, uh, Green Arrow can see it too. He says, Green Lantern of Earth, heed me. Heed my anger. You have been insubordinate. You disobeyed our orders. We command you. We commanded you to remain on station until we decreed your task completed. And House uh, stumbles and says, "I'm I'm sorry." Green Arrow says, "That's right, Lantern. Apologize. Grovel in front of that walking mummy. You call yourself a hero, chum. You don't even qualify as a man. You're no more than a puppet, and the Guardians pull your strings." Listen. Forget about chasing around the galaxy, and remember America. It's a good country. Beautiful, fertile, and terribly sick. There are children dying, honest people cowering in fear, disillusioned kids ripping up campuses. On the streets of Memphis, a good black man died, and in Los Angeles, a good white man fell. Something is wrong. Something is killing us all. Some hideous moral cancer is rotting our very souls. And you, he says, pointing back at the Guardian, Sitting on your mud ball, preening like a smug tomcat. How dare you presume to meddle in the affairs of humanity when human beings are no more than statistics to you and your crew? And the Guardian says, well, how would you advise us? And Green Arrow, with a very pleading look, which is awesome, says, that's easy. Come off your perch. Touch, taste, laugh, and cry. Learn where we're at and why. And the Guardian says, I feel there is wisdom in your words. And evidently for a, an entire week, the Immortals debate themselves, the, the Guardians. And then later on, Hal in his uh, hotel room is greeted by an image of a uh, white-skinned Guardian who's disguised himself. Says he's got a proposition for him. It's important to note that Hal is in his... Uh, uh, salesman, toy salesman phase or whatever. Uh, so he's, he drops a, uh, he drops a suitcase full of little puppets. And surprise. So that's, that's what that reference there is. Um, and then Hal approaches Ollie outside of a truck and says, it seems a bit silly to travel on this old heap, Oliver Queen. I could, I could switch to Green Lantern and flies and, and Ollie interrupts and says, uh, uh-uh, pal, we're going to play it strictly human, remember? There's a fine country out there someplace, now let's go find it. And Ollie and the Guardian and Hal pile in a truck and start driving around and says, Three set out together, moving through cities and villages in the majesty of the wilderness, searching for a special kind of truth. Searching for themselves. And that is the end of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 76. Now, I haven't been recording that long. And I will be doing only one issue per episode. Because of the shortness of these episodes, hopefully uh, that means based on time and what Mark and I have planned for the regular show, that these episodes will be coming more frequently. I will not guarantee that. But I did find something that I wanted to do. Um, uh, and I will be doing that, uh, in just a moment. And we'll be doing it for every issue of Green Lantern, Green Arrow. 
Uh, so feel free to play along. Um, firstly, I want to talk about the actual issue. Um, this, the same way Mike and I would only, the only problem is I don't have anybody to bounce off of. So everybody knows about the history of this and the, uh, how impactful it is on the comics industry. But outside of the importance of the plot and the story I've just read, um, the art, uh, is amazing. Um, you know how on some uh, title splashes they have the, names of, of the creative team. Well, Julie Schwartz was the editor of the series, and Julie is obviously, I've, you know, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it again after this episodes, uh, these episodes, uh, that Julie is one of my heroes, and I, I really wish I could have met, met him. Um, uh, and obviously Neil Adams was the artist, and, and Denny O'Neill was, was the writer. But they have their names in graffiti, on the side of, uh, on the side and in the back of a, uh, uh, of a, of the truck, uh, like a storage truck or something, as, as, uh, Hal is flying over the streets of Star City. So that's, that's pretty creative. That's pretty cool. Uh, Hal looks fantastic, uh, especially in this splash. There's a whole lot of detail here. Uh, the cars, the, the street lights, the windows and the, the entrance, some of the more detailed look of the, uh, Facades of the side of some of these buildings. Um, background characters look detailed, highly 70s. Uh, you know, the, 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 the wording is, is a little dated, uh, in terms of, uh, O'Neill's scripting and, and it, as far as words, like, um, the, the, the young man who shoves the, the landlord down in the street. Get me? You come footing around, uh, you come footing around, you're going to get leaned on. There's that, you know, Hal calls the kid Sonny, you know, bleeding heart, you know, is, is said in here, although that's, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of, that can be modern too. Keep your slimy hands off me, you know. So there's there's a couple of smaller instances of severely dated uh, lingo, but I think when it comes to the important stuff, um, you you get... The dialogue is so um, captivating in what it's saying and, and so different from what had come before that even if you were a good 30, 40, 50 years outside of this, uh, outside of the publication of this and reading these, you, you, you hardly notice it sometimes. The only time I think in this issue, Ollie goes a little overboard on his liberal side is... Uh, when he says, seems I've heard that line before at the Nazi war trials. It's a bit extreme to throw in Nazi here. But I think it serves a point in, at the very least, Hal is given something so extreme that it shuts him up for a minute and jerks the reader into a sense of, how serious this is. Whether or not Ollie's statement is true doesn't matter. It's the comparison is so extreme that what Denny is trying to say here has been condensed. The seriousness of it has been condensed into this one word bubble. Whether you agree with it or not, you are suddenly jerked into this sense of Ollie's right, Hal's wrong. Uh, and that's what they, you're, you're meant to think. Now, I also like 
you know, I thought I thought to myself that this comes a little later, but I like how Ollie goes about this himself in this first issue while Hal is off doing his thing on off of Titan uh, near Saturn. Ollie tries to take on the fact that the landlord Jubal Slade himself and fails. And he admits he fails and says, well, we got to team up and do this together. So there, a lot of this is Ollie for the most part, for the most part, is usually Denny's mouthpiece. Usually. Usually Ollie is uh, presenting the point as uh, Denny would hope to get it across to readers. And Hal plays the part of the guy trying to get down to our level and see things as they really are. Kind of break up his preconceived notions. Now, it doesn't last long, Ollie being always in the right and Hal always being in the wrong. You come to find out that Ollie has his own disillusions himself and sometimes sometimes uh, Hal is put in the right. But in this particular issue... It was very important for them to have Ollie be this this street level voice of reason, because the entire purpose was to get Hal out of space, onto Earth, and not only that, realize that his time in space, and just being essentially a cosmic police officer, had delusioned him and made him unaware of the true problems on his home planet. And I think that not only choosing Green Arrow, but having Green Arrow have this um, abrasively correct side to him, the abrasively liberal, abrasively correct side to him, uh, it worked. Um, I like how Ollie is so pat. This is the Oliver Queen I know. It's something that I think is missing from the Arrow TV show, is I want to see Ollie... Uh, both in Arrow and in current comics, although I'm not currently reading, admittedly, and uh, anything with him in it. I want to see Ollie firmly grasp on to and defend things that he believes in, and I and I'm talking, uh, you know, causes and stuff. We've seen Ollie in the Arrow show get behind a couple of causes, uh, and so on and so forth. But I think, I think them doing uh giving ollie uh a cause giving ollie um something outside of green arrow his green arrow persona to believe and fight for and maybe it spills over into his green arrow um you know everyday uh actions as a vigilante but i i I digress this is me rambling again i think when you read green lantern green arrow 76 ollie comes off especially today uh, especially if you're reading it for the first time, like you didn't read it in the 70s in the context of all of this. Um, I think um, this could come across as a preachy series. And technically that was the point. But you got to remember the time period. you got to remember what was happening in comics. you got to remember what was happening in Green Lantern. Green Lantern was just a bunch of space stories. There's a bunch of inconsequential, you know, random space stories. Like I said, number 75, it was Quard. It was a Quard-involved storyline. Now, it was John Broom and Gil Kane doing it, which is awesome. 
And I would have loved to be around and reading that stuff as it came out. But with everything that was happening socially and politically in the late 60s and early 70s, it was so serious. It was... The youth culture was was awakening and, and finding their voice. And suddenly, stuff like what was happening in Green Lantern number 75 and before didn't matter. It was inconsequential. It wasn't important. It, there were too many big things happening that meant something. And comics at that time weren't one of them. And that's why I, that's, that's a big part of the reason I covered Greenland, the, 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 the comics code, um, and Frederick Wortham and the seduction of the innocent and the trials on juvenile delinquency and everything is because all of that neutered comics. That's why you get super campy Batman. That's why, like, uh, like Mike said in the first episode, that's why you get Superman fighting a giant pancake. That's why you get all these trippy, crazy, stupid stories from these major Green Lantern or these major DC titles in the 60s. Mostly in the 60s, you know, from about 1955 through 1970, uh, maybe a little before 1970. You have this run of extremely campy, extremely goofy um, comics that are very indicative of Biff Bam Pow, very indicative of just funny funny books. I mean not not humor, but you, you get what I'm saying. And it's it's when when your readers are growing up and they're growing up in this late sixties, seventies, and they're you know, coming to themselves because everybody has that moment. Everybody has that moment. Whether it be pre-teens, middle of your, of your teenage years, your late teens, early 20s, mid-20s, whatever it may be. Some people mature a little faster than others. But there's always a moment where you start, something happens and what your parents say is no longer your, your opinion. What your teachers or your friends or whatever... You no longer latch on to other opinions and say, well, because they said it, it must be right. You start formulating your own ideas about things. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking about trivial things. I'm talking about when something happens of consequence, whether it be uh, Martin Luther King being assassinated, uh, JFK, whether it be Vietnam, the Korean War, what, Pearl Harbor, doesn't matter. Well, it could be just it could be just an election. It could be Woodstock. It could it could be you know the Black Panther movement. I mean I don't know. When something happens, there's always something that grabs somebody and makes them think. And there were so many things, so many of those moments happening in this time period that. This kind of storytelling that was happening before Green Lantern, Green Arrow number 76 was not going to work anymore. That's why Green Lantern was dying. That's why the sales were dwindling. John Broom and Gil Kane, sure, for us on the outside looking back, hindsight being 2020, that's John Broom and Gil Kane. How much would we right now kill for an issue 
a current issue. I don't care what the storyline is about. Just to have John Broom and Gil Kane write and draw Green Lantern for one storyline. Do whatever you want, balls to the wall. We just want to see it. Back then, nobody had that nostalgia. It didn't really matter. There was too much going on. And I'm not saying there's not a, there's 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 not anything going on now, but we're kind of used to in our day and age comics not being Biff Bam Pow. When someone confronts you and says, "You read comics? Aren't those for kids?" Usually, someone who's been reading comics for a while kind of explains, "No, comics have evolved." And they throw out things like Watchmen, The Dark Knight Returns. They throw out things like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. All of this stuff started here. Now, I'm not saying that Green Lantern, Green Arrow was the first series in comics whatsoever that broke free of the comics code and was the first series from any publisher whatsoever that had substance. But what I'm saying is, it's about this time period that that stuff starts happening. And Green Lantern Green Arrow is in the top five of those series. Now, I don't know what the other five would be. But I guarantee you that if someone were to make a list of early 70s, late 60s, socially conscious storylines that meant something, that cha helped change the industry, and let's say they made a top ten list, I guarantee you Green Lantern Green Arrow would be in the top five, if not number one. Okay? Now, I told you in the beginning of this series, or of this episode, rather, or of this episode, of this episode, that the cover date of this was in April of 1970. The on-sale date hit stands February 24th of 1970. Now, the comics code, the actual comics code, now this is what I was talking about earlier, there is something I'm going to be doing per issue. Of it, at the very least, the Denny O'Neill uh, and Neil Adams Green Lantern Green Arrow series. I'm talking the ones written by Denny, drawn by Neil. Not the entire Green Lantern Green Arrow series, but the socially conscious historic side of this. I'm going to be looking through the original comics code and pulling out some things that I think a particular issue butted heads with the comics code. Now, the comics code as is was published in 1954. Now I'm talking the first iteration. Now, remember what I said. On sale date, February 24th, 1970. Cover date, April 1970. Now I pulled this information here from Wikipedia, so take all of this with a grain of salt. But, in this particular instance, I believe they pulled their, uh, their information here, uh, from the correct sources, and it's it's fairly strict, just data, not not conjecture. But let me read this for you. The code was revised a number of times during 1971. Initially on January 28, 1971, to allow for, among other things, the sometimes quote sympathetic depiction of criminal behavior and corruption among public officials, unquote, in parentheses, quote, as long as it is portrayed as exceptional and the culprit is punished, unquote, as well as permitting some criminal activities to kill law enforcement officers. 
it goes on from there about stuff that's not relevant to the series about horror and vampires and stuff like that. But this this particular bit. The code was revised a number of times during 1971, initially on January 28, 1971. Almost exactly one year, only a year after the publication on, on, on the rack's cover date, or on the rack's date of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 76. This thing hit people hard. And it smacked them in the face with reality. Now, some of the things from the comics code that uh, that I'm pulling that I think directly correlate with this issue are four things. From the original 1954 comics code authority uh, document. From gen- the section entitled General Standards Part A. Number one. Crimes shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal, to promote distrust of the forces of law, and justice, or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. We all know when it comes to laws, when it comes to rules, there's a lot of reading in between the lines, there's a lot of interpretation of these rules that, depending on what it's applied to, it can mean one thing or it can mean another. That's kind of the approach I'm taking with this. So, number one, crime shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal. Sympathy for the criminal, initially, when you're reading this issue, it's Mike, the kid who throws down the fatso, and they they call him fatso. This is not me judging. (laughs) The, The landlord in the street. Landlord is the victim. Mike is the criminal. You toss Mike up in the air, you toss him around a bit, you throw him off to jail. Then, just a few pages later, Ollie creates sympathy for the criminal. Technically, Mike is the criminal. It's a matter of perspective. I think that's a lot of what Denny and, Denny and Neil do in this series is they read between the lines of the comics code. Not just, maybe not specifically the comics code, but the constraints in which they're forced to work with. They're trying to show people with the things that are being experienced in everyday life that things aren't black and white. And by extension, they show the comics code. Things aren't black and white. It's the landlord who's in the wrong. Not Mike. Mike was angry, sure. Yeah, he lashed out, but his back is against the wall. He's doing everything he can for his grandmother and still failing. And this one guy shows and shows up and says, you're all out of here. Screw you. So he tosses him on the street. There's nothing more he can do. And when your back's to the wall, what do you do? So there's that. Now, number five from General Standards Part A. Criminals shall not be presented so as to be rendered glamorous or to occupy a position which creates the desire for emulation. Now that kind of goes into the same uh, area as number one, which is why I included it. It's it's another, I guess they kind of mean physically, that might have been their intent, or to occupy a position. So, in other words, 
criminals shouldn't be hot, whether it be a hot woman or a really a well buff, good looking guy, or occupy a position such as something that earns quite a bit of money and that puts you in the top ten percent, something like that. I imagine that's what they mean there. Well, again, Mike is in the low part, so technically we're still safe. But the fat cat landlord, Jubal Slade, lives in a penthouse, dresses in a suit, has a nice big office, big desk. Penthouse office, top floor of a building in Star City. Jubal Slade really is the villain here, the criminal. Uh, has he done anything technically against the law up until he tries to hire someone to kill Ollie? Well, no. But once you hire someone to kill Ollie, you've done something bad. He's in a penthouse. He's in a suit. He looks, other than being an older, obese man, he's got it pretty good. It's another instance of them kind of butting heads with the comics code. As, as it was published in 1954. Now remember the first revision, not until one year after this, after this was published. So as is, the 1954 comics code is still in play. Now number six from uh, General Standards Part A. In every instance, good shall triumph over evil, and the criminal punished for his misdeeds. So, now I've already, you know, broken this down for the first two. Let me just ask you, what is good, what is evil? It's just like what I said earlier, it's not black and white. That was the point of this. It is not as black and white as you think. There's stuff going on. There's You can't be the cosmic crusader coming in, seeing someone get pushed in the street, and think, okay, automatically that person's in the wrong. That's face value. What's happening that brought up the anger to throw him into the street? Is it just some kid being a dick? Or is there something more here? So there's that. Now, the last part. From the General Standards Part B section, number four. Inclusion of stories dealing with evil shall be used or shall be published only when the intent is to illustrate a moral issue, and in no case shall be shall evil be presented alluringly, nor as to injure the sensibilities of the reader. This particular section, I believe, is in reference to evil, like the face of evil. We're talking demons, we're talking witchcraft, we're talking that kind of stuff. But, again... When it comes to rules, when it comes to law, when it comes to the application of these things. How many times have you seen one bit of, whether it be the uh, Bill of Rights or, or whatever, used in a court case and then seen that same bit of law used in a different court case to different effect? It's interpretation. That's what it is. So, again, what is good? What is evil? Here, there are trying to reference supernatural good, supernatural evil. Or clear and present evil, such as, let's say, what we think of the Joker now. A homicidal maniac. You know, stuff like that. So again, what is good? What is evil? I'm going to be doing this with every issue of the original Green Lantern, Green Arrow run as presented by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Um, I think at least... Every issue, there will probably be at least one bit of the comics code that it butts heads against. 
this first issue, at the very least, butts heads, technically, in the way you apply it at the time, against four sections of the 1954 Comics Code. That's no small feat, and I think it's a big part of the reason that one year later, the Comics Code is revised. It's not black and white. The social movement was saying that, the world was saying that, everything was coming to light in a different way, and people were becoming more aware of the world in which they lived. And comics were trying to reach those people who maybe weren't there yet. I I would venture to believe, as an assumption, sure, but I think it's fair to say there's at least one person out there who was reading this as it came out whose viewpoint was drastically changed, not because of the assassination of JFK or Martin Luther King or the issues of Vietnam or Korea or whatever. Remember I told you there's that, there's, everybody has that moment, that one moment where some, they start thinking about things for themselves and on their own and formulating their own opinions based on what they feel inside of themselves. I venture to assume, and I hope I'm right, that there's at least one person out there who read this as it was coming out, who got this issue of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, number 76, and this was their moment. It wasn't my moment, but it was pretty close to my moment because of the way in which I discovered this. This is the series, guys. This is why I got into the history of the, uh, of the comics industry. This is why I now own a copy, not, not a first printing, but now, I now own a copy of Seduction of the Innocent. This is why I own several books about comic history. This is why I delve deeper into even the philosophy of things. For instance, I'm looking right now, Green Lantern in philosophy, supervillains in philosophy, superheroes in philosophy. Sure, it's niche, it's niche, uh, kitschy little philosophy books to help sell uh, to help sell copies, because, you know, if someone wants to buy The Simpsons in philosophy, they, they want it just because it's Simpsons stuff, but hey, they don't care, they get money in their pockets for publishing these books. Whatever. You gotta read the content of these, it's pretty, there's, there, there's at least a, a couple of good chapters in each of these books that make you think. Um, it's why, it's why I have, you know, the Ten Cent Plague, it's why, I mean, I wasn't one for history, but... This, this is fascinating. Green Lantern, Green Arrow is awesome. When you know the history behind the industry and behind the time in which this was published, this is fascinating. And I think that's why I had to do the spinoff of Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Now, I have no idea how to close this out. I told you guys that I would be doing one issue per episode and sometimes I'd be doing it by myself. In this case, obviously, I'm doing it by myself. I'm kind of out. Uh, I am out of things to say in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, the history of this particular issue. Um, I will not claim to be researching every single one of these. And I, <laughs> I can promise you, I told you I ramble, I told you I repeat myself. It's a quality I picked up from my father that I wished to God as a kid I, I would not pick up. 
making my point several ways, several different times. I promise you some of the things I've said in this uh, episode will be revisited as we go to uh, the next issue and the next issue and the next issue in terms of the importance of the issue and throwing it into the con- t- context of this uh, of the time period. Now, there's a wide breadth of things that you could uh, attach this to in terms of JFK, uh, and race, uh, you know, race equality, uh, civil rights, uh, Martin Luther King, and all that stuff in this issue. I didn't, I didn't uh, get into that because this is the introduction issue. Um, later issues are going to cover more specifically narrowed down stuff, uh, more specific stuff such as drug usage, such as overpopulation, such as workers' unions. Um, such as uh, um, maybe religion and environmentalism, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Those I will be doing a little bit more research on because it's a very specific issue they're tackling and covering. So it gives me a more narrowed down field in which to search for information as it relates to the time. Now, that's something I'm going to ask you guys. That's how I'm going to transition into our ending here. Whether or not you're a student of history or you actually grew up in the 60s and 70s, I ask that if you're familiar with this series, and you can uh, find some really good comprehensive uh, articles or bits of history about the upcoming issues of Green Lantern and Green Arrow I'll be covering. It's, I'm going to be going in order, so you know there's, there's no surprise what I'll be covering next. Um, so if you can find things uh, on the, the subjects covered in the Denny O'Neill, uh, Neil Adams run of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, as such as uh, specific to fears of, uh, over, let's say, fears of overpopulation in the 1960s and 70s, something I can read through and, and get some, glean some good bits of information from, please do not hesitate to send that stuff in. I am eager to see it. It, it requires less work on my end in terms of attempting to seek out good, reliable sources of information on that stuff. And the less I have to spend time researching, the more quickly I can get out these uh, issues or these episodes of, of Green Lantern Green Arrow. Um, and you can send those to lanterncast at gmail.com. And please, please, please throw in the subject line something about Green Lantern Green Arrow. This is, you know, this is history on, you know, just something so I know what it is. Um, not that our email address receives a ton of spam. Uh, not that we don't check, uh, you know, every email, but it helps me, uh, organize it within our inbox so that I know that I can set it aside in a different folder to get to as we go through these issues. So thank you so much for your time, guys. I'm sorry that it's been so long. Uh, I'm sorry that it took three episodes to, to get us to this point, uh, to where in the fourth one, we're finally covering the content that, uh, this series is meant to cover, but Hopefully, uh, even though I'm not an expert in the material that we covered in the first three uh, the episodes, hopefully those episodes achieve my goal of making you guys aware of and understand the uh, history of the industry, the comics code, and why Green Lantern Green Arrow is so important. If you guys want to contact us, it's lanterncast at gmail.com. We have a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, and we haven't received a voicemail in a while. I'd love to hear from you guys, especially for Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Uh, the more information, the more feedback I get from you guys, um, the more I can kind of uh, 
focus my rambling thoughts, especially when I'm on episodes like this by myself. Um, and we can break up my mundane rambling. I can be a little more focused, uh, just like I said. See, this is what I mean. I repeat myself. Um, if you, you can listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, please leave us a review on both if you feel so inclined. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Facebook and Twitter both. Uh, so, so like or follow us there. Uh, and Facebook and Twitter both, uh, accept the hashtags now. So use hashtag GLCast to find us on both. And of course we have a website, lanterncast.com, where there you'll find our episodes. You can stream them from the website. You can download them from the website. Uh, you can, we have links to our Facebook and Twitter page. Uh, we've got about us sections and, you know, you know, ring cyclopedia episodes, all kinds of stuff and content is going up there. So, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to us that way. And, uh, you know, uh, one last thing, we still have our contest going on until the end of the year. The contest is, I'm going to try and make this as short and sweet as possible, the Lantern Cast Testimonial Contest. Between now and the end of the year, please submit us as many as you want, unlimited entries. Send us um, your testimonial about the Lantern Cast, your fan art, your fan mail, whatever it may be. You come up with awesome reviews that are posted on a review site somewhere, or you are an artist and you create some sort of awesome uh, header image for us on Facebook, uh, you know, fan art or some profile image for us. Or if you're good with, uh, WordPress coding and you want to design us a website or, I mean, I have no idea. Whatever your creative ilk may be, please come up with something as it relates to the Lantern Cast and submit it into us. If you're unsure if that is going to work as a, uh, as a allowable entry, please don't hesitate to email us your idea and Mark and I will get back to you very quickly on whether or not uh, that would be accepted or not. Contest goes till the end of the year. That would be December 31st, 2014 at 11.59 p.m. is the cutoff. So, please send in your submissions uh, to lanterncast at gmail.com with all necessary links and or attachments, and Mark and I will grab those and pick a winner. Um, the prizes are, and prizes, this is a one grand prize, this is the first, there's, there's no first, second, or third, this is one big grand prize. The winner will receive a softcover copy of Green Lantern Heroes Quest, a set of Blackest Night plastic rings from black through white, all the colors, as well as Green Lantern Rebirth Collector Set Edition, which is a softcover copy of Green Lantern Rebirth, along with two action figures, one of uh, Green Lantern Hal Jordan, one of Green Lantern Sinestro, with their uh, complimentary, uh, not complimentary, but uh, included, uh, Green Lantern base stands and Green Lantern power batteries. So email in those submissions, lanterncast at gmail.com. You've got till the end of the year, guys. I cannot wait to see those submissions. And please, 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 if you have any feedback specific to Green Lantern, Green Arrow, I'd love to hear it. So I will see you guys next time. And hopefully you enjoyed this return to Lanterncast Presents Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Bye. <laughs>